I was at a point where I, I definitely felt like I had, I needed to take responsibility and I had based on my education of economics and monetary history and monetary policy, my meeting with UPW, I began to question the viability of the stock market and being able to produce what it promises, basically. Welcome, friends. You are listening to Blue Collar Money, Theories of Middle Class Investing with your hosts, P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. Welcome back, friends. My name is Mike Hatch, and I'm here with P.W. Gopal, as usual. Uh, P.W., how you doing today, buddy? I'm good, man. It's good to see you. I'm glad we're getting to, to get practical today. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. So we are, we've been going through the 10 values of an investor or the, the values that kind of shape the mindset of an investor. And, and Another way you've talked about it, PW, are the kind of the truths in a sense of, of the U.S. financial markets. Today's podcast is entitled The Pivot, and we're talking about now how the rubber will meet the road in terms of all the things we've shared up to this point. Now, how does someone pivot or make that change from, from being dependent on the stock market potentially or an abdication in a sense? Maybe you're feeling like, oh, gosh, I've abdicated responsibility to someone else and I want to take that responsibility back and begin to take ownership in my own investing decisions, maybe outside of the stock market. And interestingly enough, as you were saying, Peter, we were talking about this beforehand, there are a lot of people in different places right now with regard to that. Some, like you've mentioned teachers who are teachers and their money is very much tied up into into a 401k or an IRA and they're going to be hit with penalties and they're not sure how do I take what I have and, and, and pivot in, in a way with it that minimizes the, you know, the, the loss in terms of penalties or taxes or whatever you might call it. And, and so th there's a lot of, I guess my point is, is there's a lot of things to consider in this yeah. pivot, but, uh, but yeah, I'm excited to talk through these, these really, I think practical steps that we're going to give you today of how to begin to start thinking through this yourself to start making those first steps. So anything you would add to that PW or, you, PW, or do you want to kind of jump right into it? Well, yeah, I, I would love to jump into it. Um, but, but also to say that your story in particular is more of a discipline story and more of a story that I would uphold to people. You know, I do, I would never want people to repeat my course of action outside of what we've been doing, you know, in the last four or five years to kind of get out of our bad investments. So at, as we kind of go through the, the order of maybe, you know, things to consider, uh, Mike's going to share a lot about his story and, and just kind of the narrative behind um, him moving through these steps as well. And if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here just for a second, yeah. PW, just to s briefly start down that road. So, about, I don't know, five years ago-ish, it's all starting to blur together a little bit, but the organization I was with had a 401k, a matching 401k, an IRA, and 
I was at a point where I, I definitely felt like I had, I needed to take responsibility and I had based on my education of economics and monetary history and monetary policy, my meeting with UPW, I began to question the viability of the stock market in being able to produce what it promises, <laughs> basically. And there, there, was a, there was a dissonance for me there. And, uh, and so obviously because of my conversations with UPW, I began to start down this road of education. And yeah, we made some pretty big changes, but, but I've, I'm, I can maybe say that I've been in that place where some people may find themselves right now of, of wondering how do I, how do I do this when it feels like everything's kind of locked up, you know, it's locked up and, and I, I'm not allowed to touch it or else quote unquote penalties as in like, I'm going to get a slap on the wrist for doing something wrong or bad. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was my thinking yeah. and that's not necessarily true. So, so anyway, and we'll share more of that as we go, but yeah, that's some context of where I was. The first part of, of, of a pivot. Um, and again, it's, we're going to ask the critical, the critical question, um, which we'll come back to in the end is how much do you believe that you need to be investing biblically? And that's like a loaded question. That's like saying how much, you know, how much do you want to be a sinner moving forward? And I don't mean it like that, but Mike has opened my eyes to the idea that when we invest, we're supposed to be you know, kind of following God's lead as he plants a seed, but that seed is a seed that builds something that has fruit, but has fruit that actually drops another seed. And so my question is, how driven are you to actually see those seeds drop in place? And so, cause I'm, I feel very comfortable with the stock market. I can trade stocks mainly because I've been charting for 10 years, but just in my time meeting with you and learning kind of like the biblical narrative of investing, I realized that, you know, that's really my discomfort and my distance. Like the distance you were talking about is mine is slightly different in that I realize that I'm very comfortable with the stock market. I would just tell you that it's not a great investment until it gets down to 15,000 or 18,000 on the Dow. Like, because if it hits the 18, 18,000 again, I think it'll drop to 15 and come right back up in a short amount of time. What we're talking about is a little different. Like I've realized that, that that mentality is, that might be part of the distance that I'm experiencing even now, is that I want to be closer to my investments so I can see the seed that God is putting in the soil and I wanna watch him grow the tree, the fruit, the whatever, but I want to see the next seed be able to drop. I want to be able, I want to be closer to it. And yep. as I look at the market and as I really do know that it's manipulated and then it's, there's, it's, there's no transparency. There's so little transparency to it that it just may not be a good thing for my family moving forward. And that's really new for me. So I'm having to look at, you know, our first, the first thing we would suggest for people is to go back to the margin podcast and go through evaluating your margin. And, and I'm having to do the same thing now because I'm, I'm, my values feel like they're, they're kind of being stirred. Um, and margin, as we talked about before, you know, we want people to understand where have your values taken you in what arena, like as you've done your assessment of your life and where you are now, like, is there space to start adding in, you know, the language of investing and in what lane, like, do you, do you still want to be the stock market person? Do you still trust it? I'm not saying anything wrong with that. That might be you, but yeah. And by the way, I've, I've, you 
softened me a little bit toward the, toward the stock market as well. I think <laughs> we, you and I were, I think we're on different ends of that spectrum. I was, uh, I think I went down a road and began to really get uh, resentful and, and uh, anti-stock market. And um, I'm probably, I don't think I'm as anti-stock market anymore, but. And, and maybe, maybe because you and I have talked about individual stocks that like we really believe in the companies and I don't think there's anything wrong with investing in the company, but, but letting the I mean, speculators run the market, you know, people that really don't care about the actual product. Well, if you actually care about a product, invest in that product. And oh, by the way, you know, a, a stock certificate might be the easiest way to, to do that. Yeah. Um, so, and by real quick, so you mentioned margin, going back yeah. and checking out margin values you mentioned, and just real quick, one of the things for me that has been super, super beneficial in understanding my values and, and really revealing them, because I think it's more of a process of revealing our values, is, uh, is the Enneagram. I just have found that really beneficial. So, and there's a great website we'll put in the, in the show notes, gospelenneagram.com. And a lot of free resources on there. You can take a free test, but just, just a tool to evaluate what your values are. Yeah, and, and I've, I've done a shorter Enneagram test. I haven't done the long test. Um, it has been helpful, but it is also an unending rabbit hole. Um, yes, that's right. So I don't know. I, for, for some reason, <laughs> I've heard the term Enneagram, I mean, at least a thousand times this year alone. It's pretty popular right now. Um, I yeah, think it's pretty popular and, and I think it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty on. I found it to be very accurate. Yeah. I think I need to take the longer version, the longer test to get a, a more accurate assessment. But, but yeah, we would, like Mike said, we'd love for you to check in with that resource, but fill your brain with, 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 uh, leave some room for some other things because it really is like, it is like an endless rabbit hole of, um, who am I, who are you? So one of the next, you know, we talked about values. Once you can assess like how much brain space, free time you have to even discuss these things, you really have to start looking at what your values are. And I've said it before, my, my friend teaches values and he says that values are discovered. And I, I would say that values change over time, which is, yeah, you know, we're probably saying the same thing, but we would look at this from a Christian paradigm and I'm not saying you have to, but Values for me are assigned from God. And it's basically, if I'm looking at his biblical narrative, it's the part of life that I feel most tied to that I want to represent. In the third century, there was a group called the, the Mystics. The Desert Fathers is another name for them. There's, there's a whole bunch of books out by them. I actually have some of their journals in a book. And, but one of, the, one of the monks used the term the very. And the very is the very deepest place of who you are. And that's the area in you, in you that God really wants to commune with. And we do a pretty good job of kind of holding back and building walls and all these things. But when the very, the very deepest place of who we are, um, when we are vulnerable enough to expose that to our creator, to our good God, this pretty in, intense and beautiful interaction happens. And, and the wholeness starts to come about, right? Shalom. Um, we start to get repaired, fixed, restored. We, we become what we were supposed to be. And we start to act out in the ways that involve some hard wiring and some nature and some nurture and all, you know. So it leads us to a place where we could suggest practically that you should have three to five values 
that you live by. And, and I actually tell people, I make people sit down and go through an exercise and write these things out. And Mike, you actually did this with Lisa. Yeah. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So, and, and this is interesting. So just to throw this out there, some couples may work well at this together. Some may not. And, uh, and I, we were, <laughs> we were a couple that did not, not because, <laughs> not because, <laughs> not because we are, um, we're, we're not compatible or something or just not, you know, we're, we're struggling or something. I'm the one who, who finds it easier to distill down or pull out and verbalize values than my wife. Hmm. And so I would have conversations with her about values. And then I would go back and just kind of think and pray and write. And then I'd bring something back to her again. And I, we went through this process several times to get to a place where we finally distilled down our three primary values. So we would say as a family, this is kind of the overarching statement, as a family who has surrendered to Jesus as Lord of our lives, we embrace three primary biblical values and the following accompanying economic principles. So there are principles associated with, but I'm just gonna read three values. Number one, we walk in the light and embrace truth. And that is, that's taken from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. That's just a, a big value to us to, yeah, to walk in the light of God's truth and allow his truth to define our truth and to embrace that truth. So, and then number two, we love people and value relationships some passages that stick out for me that kind of helped to define this for us was John chapter 13 verses 30 through 34 to 35 and first Thessalonians 2 8. Mm. We just are always around people. We love people and we love doing life with people. So we love people and value relationships. That's number two. And then number three, we live to be a blessing as ambassadors of Christ. And I took that actually from Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, where God calls Abram to be a blessing to the nations. Hmm. We really want to be able to, to be that redemptive influence in the world, to be a blessing to other people in, in the way that the New Testament calls us, describes us as Christians, as ambassadors or representatives of Christ. And so everything we do, we are his representatives. So, so those are our three values. Number one was... We walk in the light and embrace truth. Number two, we love people and value relationships. And number three, we live to be a blessing as ambassadors of Christ. Hmm. I love that. Now, so after you, and this is going to be, this is going to be, you have to be vulnerable. And after you wrote that down, have you been able to go back at regular intervals and kind of check in with those values and make sure if you guys are, how you're doing with it? Yeah, definitely. I have, but okay. So I also have a, personal mission statement. And I came up with that several, probably 10 years ago, maybe now that my life mission statement is to walk humbly in the light as he is in the light in order to be a light for the glory of God. Mm. That's my life mission statement. That probably, I've memorized that. It stays close to my heart on a regular basis. If I'm honest though, recently I did have to go back to those three va family values and remind myself of those actually. Mm. So I would say just being vulnerable. I have, I did distance myself a little bit from those for, for a little bit and had to come back and remind myself. So, um, but it is incredibly clarifying though, to go yeah. back to that. Amen. So. Amen. I love that. The, the, the word that we use a lot is congruency. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and all that, and all we're, all we mean about that is that, that are, you know, like when I look at a, when I look at a, a, a business narrative and when I see some, when I hear stories and I get, there's some dissonance involved, we start to go back through what is written and then what is known about what is written. And you start to see that the mission statement is written, but people don't know what it is. The value statements, the vision is just a collection of, you know, hows. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, and if you take the, the list of action points for the last three months in a business or whatever, and you look at the values, they don't line up. So people are doing work outside of what's actually written. And that's, I think that's what's so important about what you have done is you actually know the, the mission statement, like you've written it. You know what God has called you to do mission wise. Um, you know, because of the values that you've written down, that's essentially a vision statement for your family. Mm-hmm. Vision statement, not being one sentence, but a collection of how we're going to do things. If you were an actual business, that how would then be followed by here's our monthly, quarterly, weekly, daily tasks, and then here's a budget assigned to those things. And then the the core values are who you're going to be while you're doing it. And that's, again, this is, we're talking about like if you were to run a business, but I don't think there's anything wrong in, in, in treating your family the same way, at least on paper where, you know, you've got like you, you actually wrote out economic principles. Once, once you, your values really do define how you're going to do things and in what lanes you're going to run and you know, the pace that you're going to run. My friend, I talk about, I've talked about John in my podcast before and, um, John is a guy who he's a really talented, he's a teacher, but he's a really talented carpenter. Um, so he can make some serious money, side money doing carpentry work for people. And he helps me on my house and, um, he's very, very, very good at what he does, but his value is to spend time with his family. And so he will turn down side work, really well-paying side work because he wants to be with his boys. And as we unpack this, it might seem a little obtuse and out there, but when those values are written down and you have uh, to the best of your ability written down how you feel like God has asked you to live, it allows you to say yes to things and no to a lot of things. It really streamlines the process and then you can surrender the outcome. You don't have to say yes to everything. Normally when we go and we look into, um, you know, into the, the background of a business or even if you're looking at profit loss statements, you, you start to see that people aren't on the same page. Right. At a, at, a, at a macro level, people aren't on the same page. And below that, you know, as you dig deeper, peel back the layers of the onion, you start to see that people don't really agree with what's written. And maybe it's because they just it hasn't been explained to them well. Yeah. You know, so there is this weird marriage between what's written and what is lived. And we can never get away from that. And so we just encourage you to sit with God, to figure out how much space you have to deal with this stuff, write down what you know. We can obviously help you with some exercise mm-hmm. to get through that. I love that you you have a personal mission statement because that's the kind of the next step is that you're, you yourself as an individual or your family really should have a written mission statement. What are we going to be about? Like our nonprofit that we, you know, where we work with survivors it's very basic and it just says that the hundred amendment was built um, to provide resources and, you know, for, uh, and essentially to, to take 100 women and children out of trafficking in the U. I mean, it's very, very basic. Our job is to service 
100 women and children to build 100 points of exit in the U.S. that can that can serve at least one survivor. And then our vision statement is how we're going to do that. Your family should be the same way. You should know to the best of your ability what you are going to do. You should know how you're going to do it and who you're going to be while you're doing it. And so when we say congruency, all of those processes should be done and on paper. And as you say that, by the way, I'm, I'm personally just convicted because even though I've, we worked so hard initially to get those values, I don't think I am as out there with my own wife and son about those on a regular basis. So I, I can see how like, how like it needs to be more visual and, and we need to be reminded of those and, and on a more regular basis and talk about how maybe what we're deciding to do in any venture is reflective of those values. Yeah. I love that. I love that. My friend, Chris, and I'll brag on him for a little bit. He on his own years ago came up with a family crest. Like I have a family crest on my arm. These are the things that my discipler taught me growing up. I'm not Scottish. So there's obviously there's no way I have a family crest, but, but Chris, um, Chris did this. So, and Chris woke up one day and his, his one of his younger daughters was starting a new journal and she had taken his journal, took the family crest and drew it on her first page. Wow. And, and, and had the four words that they, that represent their values written in this crest. And she was copying it down in her, you know, in her five or six year old way. And I thought, what a great, I mean, like, because it's such a regular expression in their family. That's amazing. That they're going to live by adventure and that they're going to live by the truth. I mean, they have their own, you know, their, their words, um, but their kids know their words hmm. and the, and the kids are able to weigh into those words. And so this is a whole nother topic that we can get into about congruency. Failing businesses fail because there aren't, there isn't congruency and families can do the exact same thing. So yeah, we would right. just encourage you as Mike has done as, as you know, I, I could say that, like my wife just said, yeah, whatever values you write, I'm good with those. And I told her the other day, I was like, I feel like we need to like do it again and maybe fight about them a little bit. That was too easy. Like, I don't want you to live by the values that, that I, you know, put out there, even though I know she really believes in them. I'm like, let's just do it again. Yeah. Um, so here's the practical part of this. So after you get through a mission statement and you've figured out the congruency piece, um, now what? So for the folks that we've talked to over the last month, and by the way, it's been really encouraging for y'all to reach out to us. We've both had conversations with folks about finances and how to get started, where to go now. Um, and that's why we want to do kind of this, the starting point, the jumping point, the pivot. Um, some of you are going to have to, if, if you truly believe, as Mike and I do, that that um, you need to be closer to the seeds that you're planting, you, that they need to be visible to you, that there has to be some proximity, some transparency. Um, that belief might cause you um, to move some money. I'm never going to tell you to move the money because it's your money and I'm not a financial advisor. But if you decide that, that you, you want to move it, um, usually the way the products work is that there is some kind of penalty assigned to it. Um, Mike has... I've never had a dollar in the stock market, so I can't even speak to that. Never had a 401k. Um, Mike has, but Mike's belief 
in that process caused them to move a lot of money out of a 401k. And so maybe you can talk to that. Yeah, I, for the very reasons you just mentioned, proximity to the seed, because I, I again, it, it, to me, it felt like it was, it was locked up in a safe somewhere, unaccessible or inaccessible. And I, I also knew the, the value of, I, well, first of all, Lisa and I were very committed to paying down our mortgage on our house. That was just something we, we really wanted to be mortgage free. And so, and honestly, that's where a lot of our, our money went to that we, that we took out of the stock market because our goal was to get more to a, a, a more cash flow positive in terms of our revenue every month. And, and so I decided that we decided, especially with, with the stock market being as undependable as, as it was in, in the sense that we thought volatility was coming basically. And this was probably two year, two and a half years ago. And so we decided to, to, yeah, to cash out from our 401k and our IRA completely and, uh, and liquidate it all. And, uh, and trust me, this is <laughs> some people, I tell them that we did this and their eyes get big and they're like, why would you do such a thing? And there, you know, yes, we faced quote unquote, 10% penalties. I think honestly, I am, I am cynical and skeptical of that word. If I'm just being honest, I think penalty is a word they use to try to coerce us not to take our money out. It is, I remember one financial advisor who was a Christian and he said, look, that's your money. It's your money in there. You can, you can take it anytime you want. Don't let someone tell you that, mm. that, that you're penalized for taking your money. You're the yeah. one who put it in there. It's yours. Yeah. But we're kind of coerced or, or convinced otherwise. And so, and there was uh, tax involved with that as well. But at the same time, we work closely with our tax guy and we're, we have been able to over the last year to be able to, in, in some ways, minimize what that, that yeah. penalty or, or tax would be. So I would encourage you to work with your, with your tax guy to figure that out as well. Yeah. But the way I look at it is honestly, I, taxes are at the lowest level in our country's history. And I, I believe it's going to go up when you look at the amount of debt our country has right now and the amount of printing of money that's going on, the, the debt is they're borrowing trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars right now and planning on paying for it by taxing us later. So I just see that. And let me, I want to insert this and these are Republicans doing it. So <laughs> right. Republicans, yeah. Republicans historically, and I'm a conservative, Republicans don't believe in that process, yeah. but to try and get us out of a dip, they are doing it. So it doesn't matter what the morality is behind the decision. Like if, you know, they, they are doing it to get us out of this dip, but they are borrowing from our future self and Democrats do it normally. That's like part of the deal. They are totally fine with quantitative easing and throwing money into the system, which is basically taking a big loan from the federal reserve. I don't want to go to soapbox, but the Federal Reserve is not a is not a government entity. It's a bunch of banks 
has nothing right. to do with the government outside of a handshake. But they're going to, the, the Democrats will do this if they get elected. They will continue to borrow mass amounts of money at interest from our future self and put it into circulation. The weird thing is the Republicans are doing it right now to get us through this dip. It doesn't matter who you vote for. They're both using the same process. It's a bad process. And that's what's causing us a bunch of dissonance. So I apologize for interrupting, but go ahead. No, that's great. I'm glad you said that. It's a great point. And so, yeah, I we just decided that that we were, taxes are going to go up, basically, is what, what I'm, I think is going to happen in the future. The percentages we're going to pay is going to go up. I feel like by taking it out now or a couple years ago, number one, I avoided the volatility that happened in the market recently. Number two, uh, I think I, I avoided higher taxes that would be paid in, in the future. Number three, I believe long-term when you do, when, like you said, when you've got that seed in closer proximity, we, we want to be able to invest locally in our community. I didn't want to be invested in, in these companies. I had no idea where my money was invested in the stock market. No idea. I, 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 I did the set it and forget it funds, you know, the, the freedom funds. And I just got to a place where I'm like, I can't vouch for where that seed is going to and what it's, where, where it's being grown and, and if it's contributing to God's redemptive plans or not. And I just really wanted to, to take responsibility for it myself yeah. instead. The, and, and, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that decision um, to take the penalty has put you in a completely different position. Yeah. It has. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we've talked like penalty um, versus proximity and positioning. Like, see how I did that? All those P's. That was good. Um, <laughs> that was good. We, we yeah. really believe in alliteration here. So the, and that's why I really want to go back to like, how much do you believe in this? I mean, how much, you know, it's, it's nice to get the information and say, okay, well, I hope you guys are right. Um, there are some of you who are like, yeah, I, I feel this dissonance and I feel like, you know, God's calling me to, to invest in my family, invest in my community to, you know, to bring this money closer to home. I'm telling you, when things start to get shaky out there, and this is just a real easy barometer, when the world seems like it's falling apart, that money has to come closer to home. And I mean, yeah. like practically, like if you're, if you're like me and you're a little bit of a prepper, that means a safe in your house, you know, with X amount of cash to get through some dips. It means, you know, investing closer to home in businesses that I can see, maybe even help. It, it it's going to require you to wear a different hat. That's why the first thing we talked about is margin. Yours, your pro process was very simple. It's not like you went out there and you created like 50 more investments. Your priority was cash flow. Right. Which I think everybody's priority should be cash flow, erasing debt and cash flow. And so you took the money out of your 401k and you put it towards your mortgage and you knocked down your mortgage like considerably. Oh, so yeah. Where you're almost done with it, right? Almost, yeah. We're we're around ten thousand is we have what we have left to pay on our mortgage. We'll be done with it this year, mm -hmm. and that's going to free up. You know, that's what's funny is in a year, it's in a year's time that money frees up ten, fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars in cash flow. Yeah, easily. So, yep. And that's every year after. So yep. that yep. so when you measure penalty against that new position, it doesn't even come close. 
Yeah. And that was another argument people have said, well, why would you pay off your mortgage when you, that eliminates the tax benefits of, of the mortgage interest? Yeah. <laughs> look, look, <laughs> let me just say, the, like you just said, PW, the benefits of the cash flow of having your mortgage paid off and what you could potentially then use that cash flow to invest yeah. in locally. Yeah. I mean, it outweighs that tax benefit like infinitely. Infinitely. Like 10 to 1, 100 to 1. The amount of little money making machines I can make if cash flow existed, I mean, versus like the little money that I'm going to lose in, in a tax benefit. Yep. I'm not saying tax benefits are bad because they're, they're insanely good. They're part of the process. But if you don't have your little machines, if you don't have, you know, products making you money on a, on a monthly basis, there's no, who cares about your. And, and by the way, just another real quick thing that when you, when you do invest outside the stock market more locally, um, there are ways in which the tax code are written to benefit people who own their own businesses. And I've heard this over and over again from, from people who do own businesses and guys who have podcasts and talk about this often, but, but they look at the tax code as instead of being something constrictive or restrictive as being something that's really helpful in their own business to allow them to minimize the amount of taxes they do pay. So I think there could potentially also be some tax benefits again, long-term by keeping that seed closer to home, as you said, maybe starting your own business or investing yeah. in another business. Yeah, there are, there's a whole new set of rules and, and that's why we suggest a good fiduciary, a good wealth advisor, a tax advisor, just somebody you can sit with and say, look, here's the game plan. Here's where we are now. You know, you can, you know, just by playing by a different set of rules, usually come out on par, mm -hmm. right? After your shift and then eventually in the black. So if you're stuck, and this is a lot of the conversations I've been having, if you're stuck, if you're a teacher and your money is stuck in a, in a teacher retirement fund that you can't touch, I would say your, the congruency issue is, is first and foremost. You have to understand margin. You really have to sit there and understand values. You have to go through the questions of, you know, that we've been talking about is it does, what does God want for you? Are you, is God calling you to steward money for your family and for your offspring, you know, for your, your children, or are you being called to, to steward money for yourself and for others? Meaning that, that you do need to increase your cash flow and that you do need to start a side hustle or you do need to start rentals or, you know, those are two different mentalities. I, I really do. I do think that, you know, closet time with, with God is really where you need to start and figuring out like what he is calling you to the money, like the loss of money in an account shouldn't be your worry. If, if you're stuck, then obviously God knows that he knows that money is stuck and you can't get to it. So how do you move forward now? Well, that's pretty simple. It's the congruence, the congruency conversations, right. Of, of values and mission and, and the other thing you can do is if you are stuck um, and you are worried about the penalties is you can ask for an insurance-based product. And I can't say I have a lot of firsthand understanding of this. Um, I've been, we've been working with a financial advisor in the Northeast and I've been getting an education through them and I've met with an insurance agency. That's also, it, it's funny. It's the company is half bank and half insurance agency. 
So I've, I've through them learned that what a bank is not able to do, an insurance company can, and it's a pretty slick setup. So you can ask for an insurance product, which historically over the last hundred and some years, they pay consistently, even through the depression, these insurance products pay their investors as opposed to a market-based product, which is going to fluctuate with the market. So that's something you can ask for. We, we've talked about this before about hedging. Right. And this is a whole nother conversation, but I just want you to remember that when we talk about hedging, um, it's protecting your, protecting your investment with a separate market. Mm-hmm. So this is cleanly cut from the market that you're in. If you have, let's just say you've got a hundred grand in the stock market in a 401k and IRA or something, a bunch of different products and you can't get it, get at it. So the speculation is that, and I, I would refer you to the $20,000 gold video. It's called us debt collapse by Mike Maloney. He speculates that if the stock market, I don't want to say crashes, but let's just say resets that the possibility of actual money. So we'll say silver and gold will, well, it'll just rise just because of popularity. So, and they're thinking that silver will go to 2000 an ounce. Again, they're guessing and gold could go to $20,000 an ounce. That's like a possibility. That's how far off we are right now. And the value of the dollar real quick. So that's actually more, of course, the stock market could crash, but the value of gold and silver rising is more a function of the value of the dollar crashing than anything. Yeah. Okay. Just want yeah, to clarify the value, the value of the dollar be, being less stable, less popular. Again, our economy is supporting every economy in the world. Our, our dollar backs every other currency. I don't know about the pound, but, yeah, but all the other currencies. the world reserve currency. Yeah. And so, yeah, and our dollar used to be backed by actual gold. When we were removed from the gold standard, it became what you called the fiat currency, which is let it be so, um, or like I, I like to say, because I said so. That's right. And that's what the government is saying. Well, because I said so, this, this piece of paper is actually worth that. Well, over time, those sentences, those statements have to be reconciled, right? So that's the right. value of the actual piece of paper and the value of gold will come together and then they'll go apart. They'll come together and they'll go apart. So there's a possibility that let's just, let's just work with silver because it's, there's more of it. Silver could go to $2,000 an ounce. And so the formula that I put together in my head was, okay, well, if I want to hedge $100,000 in an account, I'm going to buy at $2,000 an ounce of silver, I'm going to buy 50 pieces of silver. And that should cover me if it goes to 2000. Now, it's a little bit more complex than that. um, But still very simple. I'm going to have to sell on the way up and on the way down. So I'm never going to be able to like call the top. So let's say it goes to 1800 and I'm guessing it goes to 2000. I'll be waiting around and the price is going to drop. I, it's not just 50 pieces of silver. It could be 20, 30, it could be double. It could be a hundred pieces of silver, but I'm going to sell at a thousand dollars an ounce, 1200 an ounce, 1500 an ounce, 1800 an ounce. I'm going to sell all the way up and all the way down. It may not get to 2000. It's an arbitrary number. This is where we have to pay attention to how long our, our dips are and how long our seasons are and how crazy it's going to get. There's it, it could go to 4,000 an ounce. We just don't know. It's not an investment though. It's a hedge. When the market tanks, those metals will become valuable. 
they, they, they're already showing it right now. We used to be able to buy rolls of 100 pieces of silver for about 1850 And right now, I think on eBay, they're like $3,400. So they've almost doubled just in the last month. Gold has jumped to record highs, like U.S. Yeah. highs, right? right? $1,900 yep. an ounce-ish. So we're starting to see the jump. It's not as great of a bargain as like when you and I bought in, but it's right. still a good hedge. It's still money. It's not currency. And I, we would refer you to Mike Maloney, anything he's done on the difference between money and currency. You have a hundred grand um, divided by 2000, that's 50 pieces. Let's just say add 30% to it. So you're at 65 pieces of silver, which translates to 130 grand. If you um, sell that to a broker when this thing hits the fan, they're going to gouge you, let's say 40, 50%. Let's say worst case scenario, 50%. So now you're back to 65,000. 65,000 when everybody else has lost half or more is, and that's the, you're talking about relative money at this point. Um, what you have left and what the other guy has left gives you, you more buying power. And so you still win. And again, this is not an investment. This is a hedge. Um, but I think it's a necessary hedge. We've done it. You've done it. I think Dave Ramsey would disagree. I think other people would disagree. I, I think it's a, a pretty cheap insurance policy. As we've talked about before, Mike and I have spent a lot of time, what, what I would say, in the closet, just praying with the Lord, you know, praying with our spouses about our finances. And, and we've, I feel this drive to steward more, um, not just so I can get be fatter and happier, but, you know, that we can truly invest and give other people opportunities, opportunities for ministry, opportunities for businesses, opportunities just to, holy cow, just to get out of a hole. God is looking for his people to be generous. And, and I think stewardship comes first. And that, PW, that's a great point because our, our goal, and hopefully you heard that in, in, my, in my values and you're hearing it in, in what you're sharing in your family's values, PW, but our goal is to eventually be in a position when, when things do go south and stuff hits the fan, that we're in a place where we can actually be generous yeah. and, and be, a, be a redemptive influence at a time when it's going to be even more desperately needed. Friends, thank you for listening in. You have been listening to Blue Collar Money with P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. If you would like to reach out to P.W. directly, you can reach him through his website at pwgopal.com. Or you can reach out to Mike Hatch at empoweredmanhood.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you soon.